YoMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 26 of YoMTG Taps, take three. This is, uh, <laughs> this is Joey Pasco, I'm here with... Big head, Joe. Joe. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, it's a nice day. We figured we'd record in the park, taking it old school, because uh, we recorded some of our earlier episodes in the park, the local park. So you hear some background noise uh, that sounds like we're in a park. It's because we're in a park. Yeah. It, <laughs> we're, we're recording outside, but we're far from all the ambulances. Hopefully, and yeah. random screaming women that you'll find in such podcasts as Top 8 Magic. Um, so uh, we had, uh, we're going to talk about a couple things today. We're going to talk about the, the weekend, you know, the tournaments that happened this weekend. We're going to talk about some M11 spoilers. Um, and we're going we're gonna to have an interview with uh, Chester Hendricks, who... Uh, you know he has he has a little bit of an interesting story to tell about his magic history, and also uh, he is the creator of life spinners, which are, are pewter life counters. Which uh, we'll let him talk about those in a bit. So uh, to start off, we had GP Manila, um, which uh, was over the weekend, and uh, it was won by Naoki Nakata, who who played Mythic Conscription, um, which should just be called like Planeswalker. Uh, yeah, it's like Super Friends conscription. Is that what you'd rather call it's it? It's <laughs> Planeswalker Sovereigns combo. Yeah, I mean, well, that's really what it is. I mean, like you can call it Mythic conscription. Well, what was it you said? And I don't know if it was in his list that you were looking at, but uh, and we don't have uh, we don't have the specific lists in front of us right now. But uh, there was one. You know, there are Mythic lists running upwards of eight. This one was running eight Planeswalkers. Right, it was running. Two Gideon, three Elspeth, three Jason Mind Sculptor. It's almost like this kind of uh, this struggle between like so so like there's blue white control and like super friends and there's mythic and mythic's like you know what I'm gonna run a bunch of planeswalkers too I'm gonna run planeswalkers like like super friends so they start like piling up on the planeswalkers and so blue white controls will like that's a good idea I'm gonna steal sovereigns and conscription out of the mythic deck. And suddenly we're just going to have one deck of all these things one merged deck together. To rule them all. Exactly. So uh, the uh, some of the interesting things uh, from that tournament was Brian Kibler going second week in a row, undefeated day one with next level Bant, and uh, also Kazuya Mitamura was playing next level level Bant and was also undefeated. Uh, but both of those guys missed the top eight, unfortunately. I, I was uh, I really would have liked to see Kibler. Win another one, Definitely. you know. But you know, he he updated next level Bant with the Sphinxes and uh, you know more Elspeths and you know slight modifications here and there. And basically, you know, he won last week and did pretty well this weekend too. It seems so, like more Elspeths is never a bad thing. No. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> go ahead, go. Ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was. I'm just saying. Like, I, I I'm actually considering replacing the Gideons in my blue white with Elspeths. Yeah. Because Elspeths. Awesome. See, the thing with Elspeth, I mean, she obviously is awesome. I think the reason she works so well in Next Level Bant is because there's so many guys for her to throw. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it seems like that is actually, like, uh, back, you know, a few months ago, Elspeth was good because she could make a guy. And if you felt like it, throw a guy. You know, mm-hmm. but it was more like Elspeth make a dude. Every turn it was like, I'm going to make a dude, I'm going to make a dude. But more and more, it's become, you know, Elspeth throw my guy as, as the default 
Elspeth uh, ability, I think. It's, uh, yeah. and, and in Next Level Band, it's perfect, because there's so many guys. I mean, uh, you know... And there's hasty ones. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you, you play a Vengevine and just throw it with Elspeth. So, yeah, with, uh, you know, with having plenty of guys to throw, Elspeth is, is better in that, in that respect. Um, not to say that she wouldn't be good in blue-white, but I just think that her value is higher in a deck where you, uh, you benefit from both. I mean, the, the thing is, the thing with Next Level Bant is that so many of the guys you don't want to waste removal on. You know, do you really want to kill a Seagate Oracle? You know, you don't want to use removal on that stuff. You know, Sphinx of Lost Truths, a 3-5 flyer, you know, that's really not that big of a deal, but it's his enters the battlefield ability that makes him valuable, and, you know, so using removal on him after he's already, you know, given his uh, his controller value, you know, it, it seems kind of uh, it just not so good. You know? So, just to uh, just to quickly go over the top eight, there were two Jun decks, both of which played Sark in the Mad. I think one of them had uh, I think they both played two main, one of them had one in the sideboard. Um, two Mythic Conscription decks, one Polymorph deck, one Next Level Bant, which was Yuya Watanabe, who also, I think, played it last week uh, and, uh, and and did pretty well with it. Uh, one Vengevine Naya, and one Grixis Control. So, nice. I mean, to me, the, the two more surprising uh, contenders there are Polymorph and Grixis, which... Yeah, Polymorph you know, finally cracks the top eight. I mean, like, Mike, you know, cracked the top eight with... Uh, with Grixis for Nats cues. Yeah, but uh, he even uh, you're talking about Flores. Yeah, yeah. He was saying how now that so many people are playing Vengevine, he didn't feel like Grixis was was a good choice anymore. Sure, uh, sure. No, so. well, all, all I'm saying is there's some precedent for Grixis cracking the top eight. Whereas I, that's the first well, instance no. of Polymorph I've seen her cracking the top eight. Am Kenji I wrong? Kenji played Polymorph uh, and, and did well with it. I guess I think it may have been his uh, maybe Nats qualifiers or I something. Think so, I think so. Actually, yeah, yeah that, you're yeah. right. So, um, but it, but but between here and there, there wasn't much of it. Like like, like that was the tournament that everyone was like, "Ooh, Polymorph," and everyone started sleeving it up. Yeah, and then everyone just kind of was sucking with it for like two months, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, now we see one in the top eight, which is yeah. awesome. It's it's odd. Like, I, it just seems like a deck. I just have no interest in playing Polymorph for some reason. Like, I think for for like a couple hours one day, I was like thinking about it. <laughs> But I was like, no, I don't really want to play that. Do you still have your polymorphs? I do. You do? I might want to trade you for them. I might want to throw it together for the hell of it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's good to have. I, I think somebody should have it in our play group just to play against it. I think it's a decent idea, especially if it's going to top eight. Uh, you know, if it shows up in the top eight, that means people are playing it and are going to play it because people who want to play it. You know, now see, oh, it can make top eight of a GP. It's a viable deck. I'm going to play it. You know, so so just to have that practice against it. I've right. I've only played against it. You know, less than a handful of times. You know, in random tournaments. So, um, you know, it, it would be nice to have one in the gauntlet. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So, uh, so also this weekend was the Star City Open Seattle. Um, they had. Uh, Jeremy Lockridge, he won the standard portion with Jund, and Kyle Body won the legacy portion with a deck he called Body Horizons, which is a take on the New Horizons deck that has been showing up recently, uh, running like Knight of the Reliquary and Tarmogoyf and Terravore. 
Um, I, I don't, again, have the deck list, and I'm not a legacy guy. We're not legacy guys, but uh, it was my understanding that this was some kind of take on a countertop list, but I feel like when I looked at Kyle's list, it didn't have the countertop uh, combo, counter counterbalance and top. But uh, I could be wrong. I could have just forgotten. Um, but as far as the standard goes, um, the, the top eight of this was two Jund, two Brilliant Ultimatum decks, one Red Deck Wins, one Vengevine Naya, one Mythic Conscription, and one Turboland, which was LSV, who pretty much, I think he was the, uh, even though he didn't win, he was the star of the weekend. Right, right. Partly because he's LSV. Partly because of the deck he was running, which was you know the uh, the deck we all saw at the Star City Open in Philly, designed by Zvi, right? I think uh, that's what I saw on. No, no, Zvi designed the original Turboland deck. Zvi is the designer of Turboland. This was this oh. takes its name from the deck oh, that, okay, that Zvi okay. designed. I saw um, somebody wrote like Turboland <coughs> was designed by Zvi. Yeah, old Turboland, oh, like okay. years ago. Turboland. What was that deck? Uh, I don't remember specifically. I think it used Horn of Greed. Uh, which was um, any time a player plays a land, they can draw a card. Mm. And exploration, which is you can play an extra land every turn. Um, so it was similar. It was like it was kind of Oracle of Maldaya split into two cards. Right. If you right. think about it. Um, so, uh, but that was V's design, and this this uh, name is intentionally stealing that name. It's you know it's New Turbo Land, I guess. Uh, right. Uh, so, LSV. Played this Turbo Land list, which we all saw kind of for the first time last week at Star City Games Open Philly. Ali Aintrazi was the guy who was uh, playing it, and I thought he was the one who designed it. But according to Cedric Phillips, who also played the deck in uh, Seattle, he said uh, Adam Prozac created it, and uh, you know he just said that he didn't take it seriously. But then when Ali Aintrazi top aided the the Standard Open in Philadelphia. They started testing it online, and so now there were a, you know a handful or several players playing it at, in Seattle, and they had some different variations. Um, Ali Entrazi was playing the Eldrazi version of it, uh, although he did even say that he was um, thinking of cutting them. But um, but anyway, uh, that's pretty much what LSV did. He cut the whole Eldrazi package, went up to four uh, Avenger of Zendikar, and um, basically just pushed. The, the mana ramp into Avenger strategy. Um, the, the big thing for LSV is that he top-aided both the standard and the legacy event. He's uh, always got to do it big, right? Yeah, exactly. LSV shows up, he shows up. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he is now the leader in the Star City Games Player of the Year race. And um, I, I don't even know what he was playing in Legacy. I didn't look that closely at the legacy, uh, the legacy part of it. But as far as the uh, the Turboland deck, um, two players actually made top sixteen with the deck: uh, LSV and Stephen Berkland. Um, Cedric Phillips, who I mentioned, also placed forty fourth. Um, he cut the Eldrazi and he cut Lotus Cobra and added Rampaging Bailoffs. Uh, that was kind of. A, it seems like they all kind of fidgeted a little bit with the builds. Um, so, uh, according to Cedric, and, and if you want to know more about this, you can check his uh, deck tech on it. Uh, he, he did a little interview with Bill Stark. Um, the favorable, favorable matchups for Turboland is Next Level Bant, Jund, Naya, and then Blue Base Control, like uh, Blue White Control, Planeswalkers, Cruel Control, etc. And then the 50-50 matchups are Mythic, 
Boros, Time Sieve, and Polymorph. And then the bad matchup is basically red deck wins, uh, you know, devastating red kind of thing. Seems like, I don't know, it seems like almost every deck has a bad matchup against red deck wins. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It, it Doesn't it seem that way? I it's feel like, like everybody's like, yeah, but my bad matchup is red deck wins. Like, well, so why, don't, why is nobody playing it? Why, why are playing? the people that are playing it not winning more? <laughs> right. Red deck wins, the players don't. I don't understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I got, I got to say, like... Both of these events we're talking about, we have six different decks in the top eight, which I would say translates to this being one of the healthiest damn standard formats we've had in a long time. Yeah, really. Which is fantastic. I love it. I love to see a lot of variety. Exactly. This is the kind of this is the kind of format that we want. This is the kind of thing we want. We want multiple decks to choose from. And, you know, everybody's got their, their style represented. You know, the control players can play control, the aggro players can play aggro, the players that want to play red deck wins and have great matchups against everybody but still lose, they can play that. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, the fast decks, the combo decks, there's Time Sieve, there's Polymorph, Brilliant Ultimatum, there's three, you know, combo decks in the format. And, you know, it, and the control decks aren't even playing counter spells, like... That's the only thing that I feel like is missing, because right. I, that's what I want to play is uh, yeah. some sort of. You want to uh, counter Vengevine. I want to cancel Vengevine. That's you what want, I want to do. I'd actually pl- rather play Lay Bear on Vengevine. That's what I would like to do. I actually wanted to uh, build a control deck running a full set of um, Mind Break Trap. Yeah. And call the deck I want to counter Vengevine. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's a decent reason to count. Decent way to counter Vengevine. I know, but right? I just thought it'd be funny, like, because Mike's always like, I want you to say, I want to counter Vengevine. It's yeah. like, all right, all right, well, then I'm going to play Mind Break Trap and say it. <laughs> so I can go, Cancel wanna... your Vengevine with Mind Break Trap? Yeah. Um, Exile it. Seems like a good way to deal with it. Yeah, well, see, that's an actual valid strategy. I think the uh, I think this all started with me jokingly saying, Cancel is awesome. Like, totally being sarcastic. And then Flores is like, did you just say cancel is awesome? Like, um, it was it was sarcasm. No, that was I after the fact. Th- well, it was after, I mean, that, he, had, that's right, our original conversation was with, with when we him had him on, on the, the phone. Yeah, yeah, on the phone uh, when we were at, at Grand PDC. So, uh, yeah, so he was saying he, was, he, he wanted me to say I wanted to cancel Vengevine, but he keeps coming back to it. He likes to... Troll me on Twitter. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think one of the coolest things about LSV's sideboard was that he was playing Royal Elemental. Uh, it's nice. the, one of those cards that, you know, you look at and you go, cool art. <laughs> 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 and that's it. But no, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense in this, in this uh, strategy. Yeah. So, uh, just as a recommendation, if you haven't got Avengers of Zendikar... I think uh, you better pick them up as soon as you can. At the moment, they're sold out on Star City at $6 each. Uh, Kelly Reed of QuietSpeculation.com has already put up an over-under poll, which is, like, you know, just drawing more attention to this card, you know, in addition to all the uh, the decks that played it in Pro Tour San Juan and, you know, now the Turboland deck playing it. Um, basically, keep in mind they're Mythic, and playable mythics will, of course, skyrocket, or they at least have the tendency to. Uh, it, I don't think it's going to be like a Vengevine deal, because I think Vengevine's playable in a lot more strategies, but, uh, you know, I, I could see it 
getting up there to the the high teens, possibly twenty dollars. You know, I I don't know, but at, at the moment it's six bucks sold out on Star City, and I think you know a week ago it was three fifty, and we're only going to uh, see this card more and more if this deck continues to, to to show up. Also, the core of the deck, which is Jace, Oracle of Moldiah, and Avenger, uh, as the win condition, totally survives the the rotation. So uh, if you take a look at the San Juan decks, as I mentioned, like that, those those three cards, especially Jace and Oracle together, uh, mm-hmm. you know that they were all over the place in the block decks. So assuming there's nothing uh, devastating to the combo or to to that combination that that's printed in M10 or uh, M11. I'm sorry, that's printed in M11 or Scars of Mirrodin, then uh, then I, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of that coming this fall. So uh, just to give some more props to Avenger of Zendikar, Chapin posted on Twitter uh, this this little blurb. When you play Avenger of Zendikar, it immediately and completely halts most attacks, potentially threatening lethal next turn. If you play it for 8, even if they have a removal spell, you have a massive and deadly army already. It's the best fatty to cast fair. And I thought that was a, a pretty relevant statement. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, you know while we were on the topic of picking up some cards, I think uh, Eye of Ugin, Eldrazi Temple, and uh, Oracle of Maldaya and Sphinx of Lost Truths, a little less so since they're rare. I mean, Eldrazi Temple is also rare, but I think those are cards that are going to see more and more play once the uh, once rotation hits in the fall. So I keep an eye on those, or grab them now. For sure. Um, one other thing I want to mention before we get into M11 spoilers is Mike Flores's article on TCG Player, uh, the seven deadly sins of MTG or the seven deadly sins of Magic. Um, I just read it this morning. It's really, really good. It's one of those classic articles that I feel like it's it's one of those ones I want to like print out and put somewhere. Like I need to make a little scrapbook of Magic articles or something, right? Like just the the best articles out there, because it's not one of those ones that's, uh, that's only relevant to, like, now. You know, it's relevant a year from now. You know, like, who's the beatdown? This other classic article. And, you know, the, the philosophy of fire kind of thing. So, um, it, it's just, it's a classic, I think, and I think you should check it out. So, want to get into the M11 spoilers? Um, sure. Just kidding. <laughs> So we're not going to go through every spoiler, but we're going to mention some of the new ones and some of the ones that uh, that we find interesting. So we'll just go right through. Uh, these. This is from um, MTG Salvation's spoiler list, which according to the uh, according to the site is 117 out of 249 cards. Of course, that includes like basic lands and things. But anyway, any. Uh, I thought we were at 121. I th- Gathering Magic said 121. MTG Salvation says 117, but I can't figure out what the differences were, what was missing. Hmm. So I went with uh, MTG Salvations because it was easily printable. Right, right, so, right, right. Um, Gathering Magic, you know, if they made a printable version. When I tried to print it, it said it was like 64 pages. I'm like, um, because no. it was all the images. And I right. was like, ah, uh, I'm not going to print that. So Yeah, I, I find, I, I like Gathering Magic a lot, but I find their spoiler to be a little unwieldy, whereas MTG, yeah. MTG Salvation, like, you can click on the name of a card and it just skips you down to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just seems real simple and. It is nice to be able to like see it printed on a card because for some reason that helps at least 
I don't know if anybody else is this way, but seeing it on a card makes me absorb it better for some reason rather than reading it like text on a page. Um, yeah, I agree with that though. Yeah, for sure. But not having the text means you can't you know do the control F or it's not easily printable. So, uh, so anyway, on to the spoilers. Um, let's first talk about because uh, just because it's it's kind of the most recent spoiler we have and and it's official. The and it's major. Right, the pre-release card. Um, we have the pre-release card and the uh, the release tournament promo card. Um, so first we're going to talk about the pre-release card, which I think is the uh, hands-down way better one. We have Sun Titan. It costs white, white, and four. It's a creature giant, 6-6, six, six, Vigilance. Whenever Sun Titan enters the battlefield or attacks... You may return target permanent card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's a mythic rare, and uh, wow. And yeah, it, yeah, permanent card with yeah. converted mana cost three or less. That not means spell, right? That means lands, creatures, Jay Spellerin. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, enchantments. Any, any permanent three or less, I mean, Tectonic Edge, Seagate Oracle, that just seems ridiculous. I was playing against, really? I'm sorry, I was no, playing no. against Roddy. Um, play, he always plays mono-white control at mm-hmm. Legends, and, like, and he, he has an active Amiria out, and, we were, and he was joking with me on Sunday, like, yeah, I'm going to return my Oblivion Ring to the battlefield. I'm like, and I sent him in, and he added me as a friend on Facebook, and immediately I was like, dude, like... I guess now you are going to yeah. be returning that Oblivion Ring to the battlefield. Yeah, huh? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, you play a Baneslayer Angel, and if they have removal, they're going to remove it, so now the next turn you follow it up with Sun Titan. Obviously, it's it's too bad Baneslayer doesn't cost three, right? But <laughs> I know, right? Jeez. And then with Emiria, I mean, White really has the goods right now. There you are so many good cards in White. Um, when did white like suddenly become the reanimator color? You know, like it, we've got Emiria, Revelark, this. It's, it's well, like it's resurrection. It's like I, I know. It's just funny though because it's almost like the same, roughly the same mechanic, bringing creatures from your graveyard into play. That seems like it's black's part of the color pie. Or couldn't you say it's greens also because regrowth? Mm-hmm. Right? So wait, now all the colors get this? <laughs> well, Nature three spiral. of five. Right, Nature Spiral, Regrowth. I mean, and it makes sense flavor-wise. It definitely does. Like you said, Resurrection is, is that. And then, of course, Reanimation, that's black. Right. right? And, and Regrowth, and uh, not, not literally the card Regrowth, but, you know, that's what happens right. to nature, you know, winter. It, all these plants die, and then Vengevine right back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really interesting how they're they're taking the same idea and applying it across three colors. And red has unearth. Well, red has unearth because black has unearth. Well, that's really right, like it's more because of Grixis, right? Yeah. But still, I'm just saying like it's really interesting that like blues the only. Oh, actually, are there? No, there even were a couple blue creatures in. Um, that, yeah, Fate Stitcher. Fate Stitcher is the one that comes to mind, yeah. too, for me. But yeah, I think that's more along the lines of Grixis. Once again, Grixis. But it's interesting right now that in Standard, once M11 comes out, or actually now, I guess, in Standard right now, all five colors have Graveyard Recursion. Yeah. I never really thought of it, but that's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't really think about it either until just now, but... Huh. That's anyway. kind of weird. Um, so, uh, 
I, I highlighted a couple things here, basically some of the newer ones. Um, Ajani's Mantra is an enchantment for white one, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you may, may gain one life. That card, you know, pretty underwhelming, but it does combo well with yet another underwhelming card, Ajani's Pride Mage, <laughs> or I'm sorry, Ajani's Pride Mate, which is a white and one creature cat soldier. It's a 2-2, two -two, which, you know, it's a grizzly bear. It's a bear. Whenever you gain life, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on a Johnny's Pride Mate. So, I mean... It's not whenever you gain a life. life. So it's whenever you gain life. So that lone missionary just puts one counter on a Johnny's Pride Mate. Right. If it was put four counters on it, it would be broken. Yeah, that would be pretty nice. Like, gaining uh, four life, making your creature gigantic. This would be like the new Tarmogoy. Yeah, I was going to say, but at the same time... Suddenly, life gain would be very, very relevant. Baneslayer Angel, like, just puts five counters on, on a Johnny's Pride Mate. Right, and, 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 that, and that gets in the same vein, like, um, a card that costs one blue, three. Uh, target player takes four extra turns after this one would be pretty nice. And yeah. so would uh, a counter spell for one colorless. Um, yeah. <laughs> hard counter. Uh, Bunch of things we wish we could have that we never, ever will. Right. Um, um, so, then we have Condemn. Yay! Which is coming back. It's re being reprinted. This is really exciting, I think, to me, because I think it's it's better than Path to Exile in a lot of cases. Yeah. In so many decks, you don't want to ramp them up. Like, it, for those of you who may not have played with it before, it's put target attacking creature on the bottom of its owner's library. Its controller gains life equal to its toughness. So that's one thing. It costs one white, and it's an instant. We haven't played with this card in a while. I think it's important to note that it's an attacking creature. Right. So you can't... Like, somebody plays Lotus Cobra, and uh, they're going to sit there and landfall as much as they want, and you're never going to condemn the Cobra until it attacks. But... Uh, I think it's nice and relevant for Mythic Conscription, you know. Um, oh, yeah, of course. More to, instant speed, yeah. Right, just more, another instant speed option for that. Um, and, and, you know, there's just Vengevine, you know, puts that right at the bottom. And, what, they gain three life, big deal. It's, it's you know, everybody was talking about Oust, and I feel like this is better than Oust. Instant speed, right? Because it it's instant speed, bottom. and it puts on the bottom. They don't just draw it again. I'm not really sure. I, I don't know if they just wanted white to have this many like one casting cost removal spells, or what it is. Because I feel like you know they printed oust, and now they're reprinting condemn just a couple of months later. Which I, I really I want somebody to elaborate on the strength of oust to me because I feel like the fact that it's a sorcery is such a big deal. It is. I agree. It just seems like I need to be removing venge vines. You know, not getting hit with them once and then removing it. Right. Um, and, you know, I understand the fact that redrawing it, you're messing up their draw step, but I feel like, is it really making that big of a uh, an impact? I mean, is that is that really worth, you know, I'm going to play a sorcery over an instant? Um, another card coming back is Golden Glow Moth, which was from uh, Kamigawa Block, I think. It's, uh, it's an 0-1 flying creature for white, and whenever it blocks, you may gain four life. So, uh, you know, I like that just for the fact that it chump blocks, you know, negating an attack and gaining you four life. I, I want to say it's actually from Shadowmoor. 
Oh, you're right. I think it is from Shadow. Because I was just digging through some cards yeah, I and think found right. three from Shadowmore. I need one more from Shadowmore. I'm kind of pissed. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, just get them from M11. No, I want Shadowmore ones. Oh, well, I'm sure you'll be able I want to find I want them. foil Shadowmore like ones. Commons. Um, now on to blue, and here's one of the more exciting cards: is Aether Adept. Yes. It's a human wizard. Uh, two two for blue blue one. When Aether Adept enters the battlefield. Return target creature to its owner's hand. Reminds me of Mana War. Because Man-a-war. it pretty much is Mana War. Mana War? What is that like? Mana War. Right. Mana? It's Secret of Mana. It's a sequel to Secret of Mana. Oh, nice. It's actually, no. Just, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think this is great, and this is another thing that we can bring back with Sun Titan. It's true. Right? Like, bounce something, and uh, I've got a 2-2, and oh, you killed it, uh, I'm going to get it back with Sun Titan, and bounce your whatever. It's such Ugh. such a lot of tempo. Brutal. Um, we have Augury Owl, which I guess for all intents and purposes replaces Sage Owl. It's a 1-1 flyer for blue and one creature owl. When Augury Owl enters the battlefield, scry three. So, uh... Sage Owl was just look at the top four cards of your library and put them back in any order. This only shows you three deep, but if they all suck, you can put them on the bottom. If you know, you know, you can you can put any number on the top or bottom. It looks like Scry is now an evergreen mechanic, which is great for blue. I was think. it? I'm just curious. Was it only in Future Sight before, or was it in other? Oh wait, it's from Fifth Dawn. Oh, that's right. Duh. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, so uh, I forgot that because for some reason I was thinking about like Future Sight had scries had 4C is exactly right. what I was thinking about. And speaking of 4C, that's coming back as well, right? Which I think is just one of the more clever names of a card, right? Because it's uh, it costs four. The name of the card is 4C, and it's Scry four. Then draw two cards. It's a sorcery. You know what I think is um, really funny about that reprint? What's that? Is that it was in Future Sight, and it wasn't Future Shifted, but it's being reprinted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, here's a sense of the future. Oh, except for this card. This card's got the regular border, which means it has nothing to do with anything that we're going to be doing later. <laughs> oh, crap. Here it is again. Like, yeah, well, it's just a regular reprint then. I just thought it was funny, though. Like, yeah. It just seemed weird. Like, and especially ironic, given the name. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't foresee that we'd be reprinting 4C, so we didn't print it as a future shifted card. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have Diminish, which is a new card. Uh, it's an instant for a blue. Target creature becomes 1 1 until end of turn. And uh, it has a quote from Alice in Wonderland. It's the flavor text, which I think is great. I love when they use real-world flavor text in the core sets. I think it, it's great. Um, but I think this one's neat. It reminds me of Snake Form, which is something uh, Patrick Chapin also brought up in his article. The one thing that I'm not too hot on with Diminish, I think Diminish is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it's really it, interesting. It's, it's neat, and I think it's going to be really neat and limited. Absolutely, you know, but being I think I know. I think it's going to be pretty damn good and constructed too. I mean, like someone swings in with the Baneslayer Angel, and you're like, your Baneslayer's one one, and I will block it. I'd rather condemn column. it or something, you know, like. But yeah. Right, no, no, right, but the thing that I that I don't necessarily like is that it still maintains all its abilities. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, 
Like, it would have been really strong if it became a 1-1 and lost all ability. Right, like humility, turn. kind exactly. of. Exactly. Like, or um, or uh, Lignify is the only one I can think of. Yeah. Or, or I lo- it Lignify is the one that made it a, a tree folk. A tree folk. I don't think it actually loses ability. Does it lose ability? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But I get what you're saying, anyway. Like, it would be really good if it lost. Yeah, ability. I didn't even think about that. Like, And so th- that almost makes it even worse than I was thinking. Not that I thought it was bad. I think it's neat. It's a neat card, but I feel like, like your example, you're, you play Diminish, and now their Baneslayer still flying 1-1, one, one, and your Wall of Omens just sit there and watch as it fly over its head. Or you have something like Condemn, which actually deals with the creature. Or, okay, so you have Wall of Denial. Um... Uh, it still doesn't kill it. You know, you just blocked it and saved the damage or something. You know, right. it still doesn't actually deal with it. You need another card Mouth that has... You need a blocker that has at least one power to deal with it. So that means you need two cards just to destroy this creature when you when removal is so good right now that uh, that it just seems... It seems like it's not really necessary. Like, I mean, can you imagine somebody, like, attacks with Kozilek and you're, like, diminish... Sacrifice four permanents. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, you you do it before they declare an attack. But still, what do you do? Okay, you play Kozilek, and they're like, go to combat, and you're like, diminish, and they're like, all right, I'll attack with my one one, and you have to sacrifice four permanents. Yeah. Uh, another new card is Harbor Serpent. Um, it's kind of like Sea Serpent, except apparently it's in the harbor. Um, <laughs> It's a 5-5 for blue, blue, and 4, Creature Serpent, Island Walk. It can attack unless there are 5 or more islands on the battlefield. That's total, which is interesting. Yeah, it is, especially with spreading seas around, right? Right. I mean, you're, you're obviously playing islands yourself, but the fact that you can make your opponents... You, you know, you're playing spreading seas, so now you know they have 2 islands when they wouldn't otherwise, and you've just got, say, 3. But it, there's so many, like, dual lands right now. Glacial Fortress... Celestial Colonnade, just in blue-white. Um, what are the chances? I mean, there's a lot of blue-white decks that don't play five islands total, so you need the Spreading Z's to make that relevant. On Sunday, I was playing against a, a pretty rogue deck, but it was running Rexial, right? Yeah. And I'm playing the blue, uh, Flores, Drazi, blue-white, right? Right, right. And... Um, I almost, if he didn't spreading seize one of my lands, I had six lands in play and I wouldn't have had an island for it to have island walk. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? So you're, like, you're basically saying you didn't even have enough islands for him to have island walk except for his spreading seize. That's what you're saying. Like, right. His spreading seize is what gave it island walk, island even though walk. half your deck is base, you know, your deck is half blue. Right. Roughly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and I don't think anybody was seriously going to consider this for constructed standard, but. I just thought uh, it was interesting, though, that Island is. Walk almost wasn't relevant for him, and I was playing, like... Playing blue-white, blue, right. Blue control, yeah. Right. Uh, we have Jace's Erasure, which is uh, a an enchantment for blue and one. Whenever you draw a card, you may have target player put the top card of his or her library into his or her graveyard. I can't imagine this card being played in a mill strategy, because mill strategies seem like they'd be so bad right now. I almost see it more likely to see play in a card that targets yourself. So right. whenever you draw a card, you're putting your own top card in your uh, of your library into your graveyard. Some sort of combo or, you know, standard dredge kind of thing. I mean, not that this even seems to make the cut because I feel like there are so many better ways to do it. So, like, 
when you um like when you brainstorm off of Jace it's three cards, yeah. Right, no, I know, but I'm saying, like, you draw all three at the same time, and then the three... Do you put the two back, and then the triggers happen? I think you have to resolve the entire ability. You can't... You know That's what, what I'm saying. So, so, you know, so yeah, I, I the ability is draw three, draw three put, put two, two back, back, and then the top card. So that's an interesting interaction where you are going... You know, you may, so you don't have to do it. So the cards you put back... Uh, if you don't want them, you can put them in the graveyard, or if you'd rather have them in the graveyard or if one of them's for whatever an Eldrazi. reason. Yeah, exactly. If you'd rather have it in the graveyard, then that's that actually works. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I didn't think about that interaction. I mean, I definitely thought about it with Jace, but I didn't think it through about using it. You know, in, in that way, crappier cards. To, yeah, to, yeah. In, it's it's another way of uh, digging, of digging, and you know, refreshing the top few cards of your library. Mm-hmm. So, not terrible. Definitely not good for mill strategies. Um, like a uh, memory erosion made me sick to my stomach. Like when I was when I was playing mill, yeah. like I was like, oh man, just get every card that says take cards from library, put them in graveyard, basically. And like I was playing with memory erosion, and I'm like, you know, you know, let's 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 be real here. Mill decks are bad. Okay, let's just be real. <laughs> um, but. Memory erosion is like the worst card. For I forgot an specifically. I have the it's art like in my head, but I can't. I remember the art. I can't remember the card, but it does. It's like whenever an opponent casts a spell, uh, they put the top two cards of their graveyard into the or top two cards of their library into their graveyard. If it was top two cards of their graveyard on top of their library, that would be fantastic. Uh, we have a new blue instant speed draw spell. Jace's ingenuity. Uh, it's blue, blue, and three, instant, draw three cards. It's, you know, it's basically the uh, Mysteries of the Deep that you don't have to work for, right? Yeah. It's, again, here's Mysteries of the Deep. Here's Mysteries of the Deep being printed in World Wake, and here's a card that I can't imagine how this is not strictly better than Mysteries of the Deep. You know what I mean? Why? If you only want to draw two and not three, that's the only way it's not, you know, like, he's... He's, oh, but it I costs, only have two cards left in my life. Well, because of the costs blue, two blue. Yeah, so it costs one more blue. I guess that's what it is. Uh, you can't see my sarcastic smile here, but yeah. uh. <laughs> but uh, but this is this is interesting. Now, the to me, this has the potential to replace something like Mindspring, but not if there's no reason to keep your mana untapped. If nobody's playing counter spells, why not just play Mindspring, right? If you want to keep your mana untapped, so you can counter something, and then then they don't play anything you want to counter, then you play Jace's Ingenuity. That's where it's good. But as far as uh, you know, this versus Mindspring in a world where there's no, uh, where, there, where there's not much counterspell action happening, this I think is you know it actually fails, you know, against Mindspring. Now we don't know if Mindspring's coming back, but we know we'll at least have it until the fall. So there will be that uh, that decision to make. I, I, mean, I hope that there are more counters so that I can play Jace's Ingenuity. <laughs> well, I mean, there's removal, too. If there's anything, anything, any reason you want to keep your mana untapped, if you want to... I mean, Celestial Colonnade, that works, too. If you have six lands out in a colonnade, and you're like, I might need to block, uh, then obviously Jace's Ingenuity is good in that situation. I feel like I, I want to lean towards it because it's an instant speed versus sorcery speed but you know these are just things to consider if you're not 
leaving your mana untapped. If there's no reason to leave your mana untapped during your opponent's turn, then there's no reason not to just play Mindspring, which offers you the ability to scale, you know, to, to play it for four and draw two cards, or to play it for, you know, seven and draw five cards, that kind of thing. Um, another blue card, new one, Preordain. It's a sorcery for a blue, and it's scry two and then draw a card. Very much like Serum Visions, which I think was draw a card, then scry two. Right. Um, I can't remember if that was an instant. I feel like it was, but it, I don't know. But anyway, this is, I think, um, it's interesting. It's it's another place. It's, it's kind of like Ponder number five, but I feel like Ponder really doesn't see a ton of play. It's more, it's in like Polymorph and things like that, and I think uh, it's in, I think LSV may have played it in Turbo Land, but, um, or, or Ali Andrazi might have played it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a, similar to Ponder in a way. Kind of neat. It's another option. And I, Seems I like cool. Ponder won't be coming back in that case. Yeah, I mean, that's a good, good point. Ponder may not be coming back. Um, here we have uh, Water Servant, which is a 3-4 for blue, blue, and 2. And it uh, kind of reminds me of like a mini Morphling in a strange way. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, tap a blue, and Water Servant gets plus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. And, uh, or you can tap a blue, and it gets minus one, plus one until end of turn. So you can pump its power or toughness, kind of like Morphling. It's not too exciting, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, on to black, we have Liliana's Caress, which is a, an enchantment for black and one. Whenever an opponent discards a card, that player loses two life. It's a cheaper Megrim. Which is pretty awesome. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying yeah. it's awesome that there's a cheaper McGrim. I mean, like, yeah. if McGrim, like, wasn't playable before, like, it's a card that I... It's, like, one of my pet cards. You know? Yeah. It's a card that I really wish was playable. Um, this just makes it that much closer to being playable. That's all. <laughs> and, 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 not, and not to mention the fact that for a couple months... Um, they'll be together. standard, they'll be together. Right. So it's, like, great. You know, that's... that's I like that. Yeah, the funny thing, though, is, like, Vengevine... Anyway... I'm not uh, saying it's good. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just messing around. Or, or, I, I like to make fun of cards sometimes. Uh, Liliana Spectre is black, black one for a two-one flyer. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. So it's a flying ravenous rats for an extra, an extra black. Seems interesting. Decent anyway. I, I don't know that it's constructed decent, but <laughs> it's it's another option. And I think it's it's neat that they kind of upgraded Ravenous Rats. But I think that, I think it's the cost of Hypnotic Spectre. Yeah. It could be. I don't, I don't you, know. Oh, so you think the Hypnotic Spectre is going to be uh, not going to be reprinted? Well, it's not like it's being played. It's true. Um, another new one is Stabbing Pain. It's a black instant for, for one black. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Tap that creature. And now we have Sirens. So, uh, this is interesting, I think, because it's almost like it could just say either or, in a way. I mean, it's better that it does both, but, you know, obviously, if you're doing it to a Birds of Paradise, the tap of that creature part's irrelevant, right? And if you're doing it to something like a Baneslayer that you don't want to attack you, 
the minus one minus one is irrelevant. You know, like, okay, it's a four four. So it's it's just funny. I mean, it's a combat trick, but it's almost like it 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 it's, it seems like it could almost say or tap that creature, or you know, or tap target creature. Right. Yeah, it just seems funny to me. Like I'm trying to figure out a situation where you want both. Now I know somebody's gonna know, and we're gonna hear it. That's so nice. which <laughs> which would be great because I just I want to know if you if you can think of a good reason why you want both at the same time. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, not just having the choice, not, you know, I want to tap your Bane Slayer so it doesn't attack me, or I want to kill your Birds of Paradise or your Lotus Cobra, or whatever. Not not one or the other. It's, I want a situation where you actually need both of these to, to be relevant. You know, both of these abilities are relevant at the same time. So, uh, on to Ancient Hellkite, Wait, which... Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, Unholy Strength is being reprinted. Okay, yeah, on and, Ancient and Holy Strength, yeah, so, awesome. So Ancient Hellkite is the release promo. It is Creature Dragon, 6-6 six, six flying for red, red, red 4. Ancient Hellkite deals 1 damage to target creature defending player controls for every red you pay. Activate this ability only if Ancient Hellkite is attacking. So it's, it's neat because you can wipe their side of the board by, like, you know, you attack and pay some red. It's kind of like fire breathing, targeted fire breathing, right? It's like, I'm breathing fire on your creatures, but not you. It is a really neat, uh, No, it's flavorful. a very flavorful, very flavorful, flavorful card. But at the cost of playability, maybe? Right, exactly. Seven I don't mana. know. I mean, it re- Flame Blast Dragon was similar, but it didn't hit the creatures. It was whenever it attacks, you can pay red X, and if you do, Flame Blast Dragon deals X damage to target creature or player. So... It does hit creatures. I didn't see that, um, but it, you can't. Hit uh, you, you, yeah, you can't hit multiple creatures. So, Flame Blast Dragon was a five-five for six. This is a six-six for seven, and you know, it's, I guess it's technically cheaper because you can just do, you know, you just pay a red and kill something small. It's also interesting if they have like a single blocker, like a Birds of Paradise, you know, or or whatever, and and you can kill it, wipe it out of the way, but. Still don't know that it's very strong. It's just flavorful. And dragons dragons and their fire breathing and variations of fire breathing, it's easy to be flavorful. That's what I'm going to say. Like sure. it, it seems very easy to design a dragon, a flavorful dragon, because what are dragons? They're big flying things that breathe fire. That's about it. <laughs> right? Like how many ways can we, can we make a dragon breathe fire? So, uh... <laughs> Chandra's Spitfire is a creature elemental. Uh, it's 1-3 flying for red and 2, and whenever an opponent is dealt non-combat damage, Chandra's Spitfire gets plus 3, plus 0 until end of turn. Seems like it so, just wants to, wants to pair up with Kiln Fiend. Yeah, it's just, you know what, like, it seems really good. Like, for, for a, like, a red strategy, like, for a red, mono-red deck, I, I, and, and the, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a little, it's a, it's a, a red and two, you know. You got these dream scenarios where you have like this and Kiln Fiend, and then you lightning bolt them, and that gets plus three, and Kiln Fiend gets what plus two is it or plus, plus three. three? So, and then you're like swinging, and you know. Well, I'm not even talking about Kiln Fiend. This has flying, right? That's really like the the big thing for me. I see. Is like it has evasion. You know what I mean? Like, right. which seems it seems like it will be very relevant. Works good with uh, Cunning Spark Mage. Wow. Damn. So, like, every turn you're just pumping it plus three. Damn. Especially with multiple 
spark mages and other ways to do that. Um, there's that leveler, that leveler uh, brimstone. Brimstone mage. Yeah, so you can just build a, a pinger deck and uh, play with Chandra Spitfire. Oh, no. Um, yeah, you can build my... My my yeah, there's your prodigal new, uh, sorcerer's uh, zur enchanter. <laughs> you should just build a blue red uh, EDH deck. You know, get a blue red general and just build that whole thing. <laughs> um, but uh, this card also seems like it could go along with it. Fire servant. It's a uh, four three for red red three creature elemental. If a red instant or sorcery spell you control would deal damage to a creature or player, it deals double that damage to that creature or player instead. So you have. Uh, you know, so it works w- alongside like Kiln Fiend and Chandra Spitfire because now that Lightning Bolt deals six, Chandra Spitfire and Kiln Fiend get pumped. Yeah. So I mean, it seems like it's a deck waiting to happen. Yeah. I don't know if it's a deck waiting to win. It may be too like too narrow. But uh, but here's one that I think is definitely a good card, Ember Hauler. Yeah. It's a Goblin. Very relevant. Very relevant. How many more goblins? I mean, how many goblins do we have right now in standard? I mean, are they going to reprint Goblin Chieftain? I hope. Yeah. I mean, I want to see, like, the Siege Gang Commander, Siege Gang Commander and Warren Instigator and Goblin Chieftain and, and all these goblins. Uh, this is a creature goblin, 2-2 for red-red. Um, tap one colorless. Sacrifice Ember Hauler. Ember Hauler deals two damage to target creature or player. So it's got... You know that that kind of Mog fanatic esque ability here, and uh, I don't know. I think that seems really strong. It's like I'm I'm, I'm seal of fire that I'm gonna attack you <laughs> until yeah. until I feel like sacrificing to deal two. I mean, you do have to pay mana to sacrifice, right? But I mean, it, it's one and it's colorless, so that seems okay. Like it it's I think it would be too strong if it was just. Sacri- well, exactly Mog fanatic doubled, right? So obviously. it costs two more. It's two two and deals two. But it, it just seems really good. It does. I agree. That's one I think awesome. is, is very playable. Another card I am excited as hell about is Kodama's Reach, renamed Cultivate. I'm but not complaining it, at all. No, not at all. It's fine. It is Kodama's Reach. Was it Kodama's is, Reach an arcane spell? It was arcane. Yeah. So that is a difference. But this is Cultivate. It's a green and two. It's a sorcery. Search your library for up to two basic land cards. Reveal those cards. Put one onto the battlefield tapped and the other in your hand. Then shuffle your library. Mm-hmm. I love Kodama's Reach. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a it's like a divination that always gets you lands and puts one on the battlefield. Like mark the, my like, words, every Jun deck running rampant growth is going to be putting these in in its place until Jun rotates. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you, but unless the curve, as far as the curve goes, because rampant growth costs two, and they want, you know, they may not be uh, maybe, you know. but this is a this, this, ramp, this ramps you to five, rampant growth ramps you to four, where Bloodbraid Elf is coming out, hit down on turn three. But there, yeah, but I mean this is a stronger cascade. Well, it's, it's definitely a stronger cascade, it's a stronger card, but it, I think what you're ramping to may be more relevant for Jund. Uh, and that's what I'm saying, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm putting up a, a possible argument for that. Um, but Elf's strong on turn four too. Oh, it's, yeah, it's strong every turn, of course. But I mean, to be able to to play it, you know, when, go turn- when your opponent just played their second land and said go, and you drop your fourth land and play Bloodbraid Elf, you know, 
seems decent, especially if their second land was comes into play tapped or something like that, or they were going to like spreading seize you, and now it's like, well, I already ramped into you know whatever color this, I needed. This is or a something. lot better against spreading seize too. Yeah, and it is. I don't know. I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just trying to think of uh, why they might not choose this over ramp and growth, right? Necessarily. Well, um, they only run like two ramp and growths, right? So, I th- and, and they I, might. I, I, I think it's this is way stronger. It is way stronger. That's well, why it costs one more. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying is relevant. Uh, Garrick's companion, which is a uh, is a creature beast for green green for good game. Um, <laughs> it's a three two trample, common vanilla. I think it's great. I love these kind of. It, it's it's strong, and just simple. Very simple creature. It's friggin' strong. Like, it's so strong. It's such a... That's ridiculous. I don't know, like... It goes well with Garrick's pack leader, too. Which is the creature beast 4-4 four, four for green and 4. Whenever another creature with power 3 or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Goes uh, good with Garrick Wildspeaker. It also goes great with Garrick Wildspeaker. He's like, uh... I'm going to make a beast, draw a card. So uh, I guess it's a good timing for us to uh, wrap it up here. So thanks, everybody, for listening. You can contact us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 331-MTG-TAPS. Our website is iwantmymtg.com. If you would like a T-shirt, you can uh, check our website. You can basically, uh, we have a little link for t-shirts. They are $8 each plus $3 shipping. Unless you need a 2XL, those are $10 each and $3 shipping. Um, The stickers we have, they're free. Just send us your mailing address, and we'll send some out to you. Unless you live outside of the United States, then Big Head Joe will wait a month and then send them out to you. (laughs) Um, You can contact us on Twitter uh, at YoMTGTaps, and I am Affinity for Blue. Uh, yeah. Facebook group? Yeah, we have a Facebook group, uh, so you can go like us on Facebook. We're available every week on O2Drop.com, MTGMetagame.com, Top8Magic.com, MTGCast.com, and of course, StarCityGames.com. Thanks again, and stay tuned for the interview with, uh, with Chester. On the phone with us, we have Chester Hendricks, uh, the creator of Life Spinner Pewter Life Counters. Um, He is known for doing these counters, but he also had a really interesting story we wanted to know more about concerning an expansion that he sent to Wizards of the Coast about 10 or so years ago, 14 years ago or something like that. So uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little more about that? (laughs) Well, actually what I... Actually, what I did was I had uh, mentioned to your partner in crime there that uh, when he called uh, that I would have a little bit more interesting information to pass along than just my uh, metal life spinners, I believe, I can't prove it, but I believe that I was the very last person that was uh, able to submit an expansion set to uh, WotC uh, for Magic. And uh, as I was digging through some of the old letters and correspondence and we went back and forth, I found a letter that I uh, had sent off to uh, Mark Rosewater in uh, 2002 
about a year and a half before he started working on Ravnica. And I told him about, uh, or I believe that I may be the person who invented uh, hybrid mana. Oh, wow. Probably not, but it feels good to say so. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was the uh, the mechanic you submitted? Actually, like, was it was it that close to hybrid mana, or uh... no? It was hybrid mana. That was the whole idea. Wow. No, it was exactly as they printed it. The idea was to uh, hang on a second here. Yeah, here's the letter here. Let's see. The idea was to uh, what if you were able to create extra colors based on the five basic mana. Here's how it could work. You take any of the multicolored cards from my set, or even that exist, let's say that uh, casting costs of green and black. Instead of green and black, we use new mana symbols. Green slash black, or green slash, or yeah, green slash black. I called it linked mana for want of a better term. The idea of the linked mana symbols would actually be a green mana symbol fused with a black mana symbol. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'd, I'd love to take credit for it, uh, simply because I wrote this to uh, Rosewater about a year and a half before he started working on Ravnica. But you know, what are the chances that you know he didn't already have that you know in his card file of stuff you know he was thinking up constantly through all the years? Probably nil. But uh, you know, it's it's kind of fun to have something in writing that you sent off to them a year and a half before. So. Like I say, chances are, you know, he had this in a card file somewhere, you know, like three years earlier than that. So, you know, not not, not claiming anybody's thunder, just uh, fun that, you know, because back in the uh, the mid-90s and, and the earlier 90s, you know, freaking everybody and their brother was sending them uh, expansion sets and ideas for cards, and they had they actually had a little kit that they would send out to you. Uh, and what they used uh, for an example of how they wanted you to submit your expansion was they had a little kit that had, uh, if you were going to submit, say, Ice Age, this is what we would like it to look like. Huh. And so I put my expansion together based on their little model and whatnot. And uh, so I was just one of those. It was a lot of fun, but that was in 96. Well, back then, Dominaria was all the rage, and that's what, you know, Magic was all... Uh, boiled around in the Brothers War thing uh, was really cool because I happen to be a board war gamer, so I have military history background, and looking at magic kind of from that lens, I, I kind of noticed this whole Brothers War thing kind of had a World War II feel to it, and what came next from there was my original thought was, well, gee, this seems kind of like World War II. I wonder what World War One was all about. So the, mm-hmm. I, my idea was, I thought, you know, the coolest thing that they had ever done was uh, multicolored cards, and so I thought it would be awesome to put together an expansion that was, you know, where multicolored cards were the theme. So that was what I did. I, I came up with a, a, a storyline to go along with it, where this is actually all about what happened before the Brothers' War and what led up to it and how uh, Tarkasia wound up uh, eventually finding the two brothers and that was all part of the storyline and whatnot. Wow, so it was kind of like uh, a, a prequel kind of thing. Yes, yeah. exactly so. Yeah. <laughs> and the fun part about that was 
that uh, when I postulated all this and sent off to him and said, you know, I realize I'll have to, you know, sign disclaimer forms and everything, please send all that stuff to me because I want to do this uh, expansion for you as a prequel sort of thing, uh, and I want to call it Alliances. <laughs> well, <laughs> imagine my surprise when I got this really nice letter from the guys in the legal department saying, wow, that's so cool that you want to do that. Thanks so much for... Uh, uh, sending it on in, but uh, we hope you'll understand that, you know, we've got an expansion coming out, and we've already chosen the name Alliances. Would you mind renaming yours and resubmitting it? And wow. by the way, sign all these documents for us. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Funny. And so that was in, like, I guess, 95, 96-ish, because I think Alliances came out pretty soon after that, I would assume, like in 96, right? Yes, very, it was like, you know, they were, they already probably had the cards, half of them printed up, yeah. you know, and here I was, dumb kid, you know, uh, sending stuff into them, had no clue, but, you know, it was just one of those, one of those kind of things, so, you know, it didn't bother me, and you know, I was like, cool, hey, they're actually talking to me, that was the way I looked at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I said, no problem, so I renamed it Tokasia's War, and uh, wrote it all up, and sent it off to them. Uh, it was a lot of fun because I had gotten a hold of uh, uh, Bruce Rogers. You know him? No, I feel like the name sounds familiar, but I don't know who that He's is. He's one of the guys that's uh, written a number of the uh, uh, magic novels and whatnot. Okay. He's also uh, written as uh, under the name of Hanover Braddock. Maybe that name rings a bell. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, you also have to remember, this was back in the days when the duelist magazine was hot stuff right and there was a, a person named Kathy Ice who had written this really cool article about ice ages uh, back there and she had used these uh, two she had created these two characters that were kind of like uh, uh, dueling scholars and they were talking about some documents about ice age and they were calling each other names and whatnot it was really funny and I contacted Kathy Ice and uh, uh, asked her about it, and she said, yeah, you can go ahead and use the characters and whatnot. So I got a hold of Bruce Rogers and said, hey, I'm working on this expansion, and the idea is Tarkasia's War. You know, it's a prequel to Ice Age. I'd like to use these two characters. Would you mind putting together some kind of a little story that you know, could be tossed into the duelist you know, to kind of follow it along? So I explained to him my concept, and he said, oh, hey, yeah, that would be exceptionally cool. So, you know, he wrote the little story, and I included that in with my package that I sent along to him, you know, uh, being young and naive and thinking, you know, that they would actually, you know, look at it and consider it. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was all cool. There was a lot of folks that were, uh, well, not a lot, but a few folks that were in the loop and that were excited about it. And uh, so we had all this background material and came up with cool card ideas, you know. And, and uh, of course, now, you know, 10 years later, looking back on it, most of them seem fairly lame. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there were some pretty lame lame <laughs> card things back then anyway. I mean, ban <laughs> banding and, and things like that. You know, there was even even the well, printing cards were pretty interesting lame. Interesting you should mention banding. You know, I had, a, I had a, uh, uh, one of the uh, ideas that I had made up I came up with uh, a set of, uh, uh, I, today we would call them keywords, mm -hmm. but uh, one of the things that I had come up with, uh, I called it Echelon, and the idea was you may, this creature may attack with
with one other creature as a group, but only one receives damage, and it's the controller's choice. Hmm. Now, see, that would have, you know, banding was very confusing. Right. And that was the reason that they dropped it. You know, Echelon was a little more elegant and was a lot more simpler and, and was basically the same thing. Right, yeah. You know, similar idea or along the same lines, right? That's so we were all, you know, back then we were all kept thinking along. It was hard to think out of the box. A lot of the stuff we thought of back then, you know, now today we would look at it and go, you know, really? <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of cool. So uh, I sent my thing in. They said, wow, that's kind of cool, but you know what? We're really not all that interested in this, and we'll tell you why. It's got too much emphasis on multicolored cards. It's got too much deck manipulations, and there's too many counters on the cards. So we'll say thank you. No, we're not really into all that right now. <laughs> wow. This is in 1996. Right. <laughs> Nowadays, of course, that's what magic is all about. Yeah, Let's exactly. Let's have more deck manipulation. Let's have more multicolored cards. Let's have more counters on cards. Right. Yeah. So was I ahead of my time, or were they behind, or was it two ships <laughs> passing in the night? Probably just two ships passing in the night. When they came out with Invasion in 2000, uh, I looked at that and I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, four years ago, you said, we're never going to do any of these things. Come on, guys. Right. So uh, I wrote to Mark Rosewater and uh, I told him, look, I'm going to revamp uh, Tokasia's War. Uh, and I spent a year and a half or so working on it and because... Now they had the block system, and they wanted to, you know, really involve storyline and everything. So I did all that stuff. I expanded it out into, you know, their basic block system uh, by then. Uh, and I uh, talked to a couple people in R&D about it, and they said, oh, yeah, okay, cool, you know, send in what you got. I think they were just humoring me, but, you know, <laughs> how would I know? Mark Rosewater never did write me back for anything. <laughs> He's a busy guy. What are you going to do? Right. Uh, but I talked to the folks in the legal department and said, you know, hey, I had originally submitted this as a single set expansion. Do I need to redo, uh, you know, public disclaimer announcement or uh, things? And they said, no, you already submitted it once. If you're going to, you know, just kind of revamp it and resubmit it again, that's fine. Go ahead. You know, kind of patting a little kid on the head and say, yes, Sonny, that's okay. Go ahead and send <laughs> your stuff in. <laughs> so that's what I did. Uh, sent it all in uh, back in, in uh, 2001. Uh, and it took a long time to uh, get anything out of them. I think they were, kind of, you know, like I say, by then they were, everything was in-house. They weren't accepting submissions anymore. And I don't think they really quite knew what to do with me. Um, and they, uh, I think the uh, legal department thought, wow, you know, we've got this disclaimer, you know, we, we really should take a look at it or something. It's probably kind of what was happening behind, behind the scenes. Right. Um, you know, but, you know, they were, you know, they were uh, nice about it. And they, they finally, you know, somebody, I wound up on a comp phone conversation uh, I think it was Brian Tinsman who said, you know, dude, um, we're kind of in a place now where we do everything in-house, so they're basically, the reason you haven't got a letter is they're not quite sure how to say thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that was kind of the end of that, and then like I say, the next year, 
you know, I was still in the mode like, uh, well, I hadn't received anything official, but by then my juices were all flowing, and I came up with the, uh, uh, what I, I, I called it fused mana, you know, now we know it as hybrid, uh, and I sent that letter off to him, never got an answer to that one either. Yeah. So uh, I've done a, done a lot of interesting a lot of interesting stuff uh, with them that way. I also came up with a, uh, uh, I have a game system of my own. I refer to it as Avatars. It's a Tyson card game uh, that I had originally uh, put together for a role-playing game by a company called Chaosium based on their uh, RuneQuest role-playing game. Are you familiar with that? Um, I don't think no, so. No, not really. It's uh, still being put out. Uh, it's been t- kind of taken over and still being put out by a company called Mongoose over in England. Um, but the game system itself, based on that, I, I since in my design career have, have come to understand it's a system, not just a single game. And I've now got like a half a dozen different versions of it. I only have one that's actually got published, which I self-published as, uh, based on railroad logos. The idea is I can take any 32 icons and create a new version of it. It's kind of like Monopoly that way. Mm-hmm. It's a fun game. It's a it's a real hoot. Big big fun at uh, conventions and whatnot because basically it, it uh, it's designed and built to be played with ten players all oh, wow. at the same wow, time. Yeah, yeah and uh, it's a lot of fun. And so I put together a version based on using mana or uh, magic expansion symbols. Hmm. And so I sent that off to them, and uh, you know, because I figured, go, you know, hey, this would make a great promo item for them. Uh, by then, they had thirty-two, uh, a, a little bit over thirty-two expansions out already. Right. This was during Tamagawa, I think, was uh, was the latest ones. Okay. And so I sent that off to them, and uh, they kind of looked at it and said, "Wow, well, you know, kind of thanks, but." We're gonna. We'll just hold on to it because maybe someday we'll go ahead and do this. But right now, we're a little bit concerned. This is while they were kind of in transition with the uh, One World Hasbro folks. Mm. Oh, right. And uh, so I think the folks at Hasbro were a little concerned that you know if they put out a game out into the like in Target and Wally World and stuff that it would take away sales from Magic. Uh, of course, I viewed it just exactly the opposite. I was thinking, you know, hey, get this out into the regular gaming world. It's a regular game. People are going to see that it's based on Magic, uh, and they'll come in and get into Magic. You know, like right. if I was doing it, I would include like a random booster pack or something that I got laying around, you yeah. know, and, and do it that way. So that's actually still sitting <laughs> in their vaults, uh, <laughs> waiting for them to look at it and say, hmm. I wonder if we ever want to do, bother to do this. I thought of it as a cool, like, you know, maybe a, a promo item yeah. or something they could give away as a, uh, uh, you know, like a prize at, you know, release parties or something like that. But, you know, that's just me. The stuff that they've been putting out is so incredibly way cooler than any of the stuff that I ever sent them. You know, uh, no, they, I think they absolutely made the right decision on... Uh, <laughs> moving to the in-house only uh, deal because you know they've got they've got an incredibly great design team there right. so they, they do a few gaffes uh, here and there but for you know 99% of the stuff they put out is hey why are we still playing this game because they put out great stuff yeah exactly uh, so probably well for me the coolest thing that I ever sent off to them 
in the uh, expansion set was I had a new idea for uh, dual lands, which was uh, you have a land card in your hand, and it's a blank land card. And when you play it, it can be either a mountain or a uh, forest. Hmm. So you declare it as you're playing it, and then when it hits the table, it's whichever one you want. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, you could cho choose one kind of thing. It's almost kind of like a fetch land, but, uh, you know, maybe doesn't require... Without a the... step in between, yeah. Right, yeah. That's interesting. So I did have some good ideas, but, you know... Yeah, well, hybrid that's... mana was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> even if it was also <laughs> somebody else's idea. You know, it's it still sounds like, you know, it's a good idea. Um, are you, yeah. like, what, are, are you, like, a game designer at all, or is it just something you dabble in on the side for fun? Game design is something I've, jeez, <laughs> been doing it for a very long time. Uh, what got me started on it was, uh, are you the guy, one of you guys familiar with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs? No, I don't think so. No. Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, was a very popular author, did a lot of series, uh, starting with uh, Tarzan, a lot, uh, lot of very good stuff. Uh, one of the books that he wrote was called Princess of Mar or, uh, Chessmen of Mars. And he made up this little uh, chess-style type game uh, called Jatan. Well, as a 14-year-old kid, uh, of course, you know, I was fascinated because, you know, I, I played a lot of chess and was really interested in that. So I made up my own set and started playing it. And what I discovered was, while it was a really great, you know, plot device for the book, as a game, it sucked. <laughs> so I had to tweak the game a little bit, and I, you know, redesigned a couple of elements within it, and in my own mind, you know, I kind of had redesigned it and made up my own game. Uh, and from there, I've just kind of never looked back. I've been making games ever since. I've had a couple professionally published by other companies, uh, both in the uh, board wargaming world, uh, self-published a uh, maybe four or five games, um, and it's just something that I've you know continued to do, and uh, you know it's just one of those things. Once you get it in your blood, you know you can't get it out. It's just it's just a lot of fun. Right? Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people like to make their own uh, their own games, like even Magic expansions, even just to play for fun. And the one that surprised me most was Patrick Chapin. Um, he he uh I, I went on the magic cruise back in february and um patrick chapin uh was was on the uh was on the cruise and he had his own set that he had created and it's interesting because usually um it seems to me at least the the stigma is i guess that people who create their casual sets are more casual players and not professional players but here's patrick chapin one of the best players in you know, in the game right now, you know, he has his own, own uh, magic expansion. It's just interesting to, I think it's pretty widespread that people like to do that. And it seems like a fun, seems like a fun thing to do. I just, I feel like I don't have enough time to devote to magic as it is to, <laughs> yeah, then, who does? right. So, so the reason, uh, the, the actual reason you and I, you know, ended up talking was um, a couple of years ago. I mean, I want to say back in 2006 is when I first noticed it. Uh, was there was a thread on MTG Salvation about these um, life spinners, just kind of to keep track of your life. And I, I took a look at it, and I thought it looked interesting, and I ordered one. And 
Very, very reminiscent of the old, like, Duelist. You, you had mentioned Duelist a little while ago. They had their, uh... Didn't they, they made, like, some sort of... Well, they made an no, abacus. It, no, it wasn't the Duelist. It was the folks, uh, uh, Reaper Miniatures. That's right. See, Duelist had their abacus. That's what the Duelist one was. That's, was was that's like a stainless steel kind of... Or, or some edge. sort of metal abacus that they had. Um, yes, they had the metal abacus thing. No, it was the folks at Reaper Miniatures who, uh, made the first as far as I'm, I'm, I know, the first uh, spinner-style uh, pewter life counter. <clears throat> I owned one of those. Uh, and didn't matter, I was going to buy one, but I didn't like the figures that they put on it, so I just never bought one. For some reason, one year, I was at a uh, convention down in the Bay Area, uh, one year they published their little spinners without a figure on top. The base on top, where the figure normally went, was flat. So you could buy the spinner and put whatever miniature you wanted on it. I thought, wow, now that is the coolest idea ever. Uh, so you pop, you purchased this uh, Reaper uh, spinner, and you went and checked out all of the uh, miniature displays and just picked out the coolest miniature you could, a little bit of super glue, and bam, you were off and running. You know, and I... I practically wore that thing out. <laughs> wow, yeah. I've still got it. Uh, <clears throat> I put a Battletech miniature on it. Uh, I thought that looked kind of cool. <laughs> the problem with it was is that the spinner part that, that spins on top, uh, it has little nibs on the bottom. And after you play with it enough times, they tend to kind of wear down, and now, you know, it doesn't, the number doesn't, the pointer doesn't stay on the number where you want it to. Right. Uh, and also, it had a problem if you jostled the table a little bit, you know, it would bounce it, and you go, oh, gosh, what life was I at? And so I always had a problem with it that way, and um, eventually I just got to kind of the point, you know, brain's always working on something. I came up with the idea that, uh, you know, I didn't like any of the uh, other life spinners that were uh, coming out. Uh, the one that uh, Legend of the Five Rings did. Uh, yeah, I just didn't care for any of the stuff that was out there. I still like that old Reaper thing, but I didn't like the way that it was designed. It was it was just a problem. Right. So I thought, sit down and thought to myself, how can I do this differently? <clears throat> I really like the concept of not having a miniature on it so you could personalize it. And uh, I finally came up with the idea, which what you see now is the, uh, the Life Spinner, which is where it's two pieces but they interlock rather than ride on top of each other. And so I <clears throat> contacted a, uh, a local uh, uh, pewter manufacturer, and I had drawn it out and said, you know, look, I have this, I have this concept. I want to do this thing. Uh, you know, how much is this going to cost me? And uh, he told me how much it was going to cost me because, you know, they have to design the thing and then they have to make the molds and then you get, you know, so many off of your first print run. And it was a fairly considerable sum of money, a little bit more than, you know, I get on my salary wow. <laughs> as a county employee. You know, I tell everybody, look, it's not a money tree, it's a money shrub, okay? <laughs> it, <laughs> so what I wound up doing was uh, the price that he quoted me, I, I uh, looked through my old binders, and I had four mana drains, hmm. uh, originals, and very nice shape, so I called up our good friends at Star City, and I said, hey, how much can I get for four mana drains? I need uh, X amount of dollars. They said, 
you know what? We'll give you X amount of dollars. Send those puppies on in. I said, no problem. So I sent them the four mana drains. They sent me the check. I took the check over to the pewter manufacturer, and uh, what you see is uh, actually uh, one of, uh, I, I call my company Terran Games, yeah. uh, one of the first actual produced items from Terran Games uh, is my uh, life spinner. Uh, and I've been getting a lot of interesting hits on it lately and couldn't figure out why. Somebody finally explained it to me. He said, well, if you look up, if you Google it just right, you know, the forum that you're talking about, which was back in 2005 mm-hmm. on uh, MTG Salvation, will pop up. And what I just found out last night after uh, getting an email from you was, if you Google Sweet New Life Counter, uh, it's like the number one hit. And I was like, right. oh my gosh. <laughs> because that's what, uh, that's what Ranker and Elf, uh, the, uh, one of the cool guys on uh, MTG Salvation, uh, that's what uh, he called the threat. He started right. it off because uh, I had contacted him and said, you know, hey, would you like to carry these? Because he was selling cards. Would you like to carry these as an item? I says, I don't know. Send me one. So I did. And he said, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. I love this. Can I start a forum on it? I said, dude, go right ahead. Hurt me bad. Right. And that so was how he, I found out about it. Huh? did. And uh, that's pretty much where everybody's been finding out about it over the years. Yeah, I think he must have had it uh, in his signature or something, like in his uh, in, in all his forum posts, some kind of link to you know it's a sweet new magic life counter, and I'm like, cool, and so I clicked it and saw that thread, and um, you know and that was how I found out about it, and I think uh, you know I, I I got mine and I posted the picture of mine because that's another thing that was going on on that thread. People would post their pictures of what they used on top and things, and um, oh my gosh. You get a hold of somebody that knows how to paint, knows what they're doing when they're painting miniatures, and uh, some of the uh, some of the counters that some of the people posted on there is just like, oh my freaking gosh! Let me send you mine so you can yeah. paint mine. <laughs> yeah, I mean mine, and I, and I know you've seen it. Mine's unpainted. Um, I, I tried. All, I tried painting all it. Mine are unpainted as well. I don't. I don't paint any of mine. I just use the. Uh, I, I kind of like the look and feel. Of actual metal, yeah, you know, me there's, too. A, there's a heftiness to it. It, it. it feels real, and it's just it's a good feeling. And so, uh, and also because my painting sucks, uh, you know, I just leave all mine unpainted as well. But I cannot tell you how much I respect people that do have that talent and ability because uh, the ones that are painted on there are just uh, they're just beyond awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried painting my. Um you know, one of the the spinner pieces instead, of, like because I knew I couldn't paint the the druid that I have uh, glued onto it. He's too he's too detailed. So I tried painting the spinner pieces. Like I, what I did was I filled in the arrow, um, and, and I decided, you know what, I actually like it better without the paint. So I kind of scraped it out. So <laughs> um, I just <laughs> well, like I it find like that, that. Uh, that's what I do is I do paint in the arrow because it's easier for me to identify, and I found an easy way to paint the numbers. What you do is you get uh, a dark color acrylic paint, mm-hmm. just plain old acrylic paint, like, uh, uh, like a dark blue uh, or a black or a dark green, and you just fill it in, wait for it to dry, and then uh, use, using a piece of plastic or even just your thumb, just scraping the, uh, the excess that's on top of the numbers, the metal then uh, of the numbers kind of shines through with the darker painted background right. and the numbers show up better mm. 
so that's about as far as uh, that's about as far as my painting stuff goes. Although I have one uh, for my wife, uh, she found this uh, angel uh, sitting on a throne with a harp <laughs> miniature that's just amazing. Uh, that uh, she likes. We used it when we played Two Headed Giant, uh, and uh, we're going down to Pacifica this year. And she doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to take it on down there and. Hopefully there'll be a guy there that uh, does real painting and have it painted up for. Him. Wow, that's nice. cool. Yeah. So, uh, so are these? Are are you? I, I know you said you only had a few left. Um, are you considering uh, doing another run of these? Is that uh, you know, is that something that you've considered? I guess I guess it depends on interest. Yeah, I've got two avenues of thought on that for myself right now. I've got um, I've got another guy. Uh, this has been amazing in the last three months. I've gotten more inquiries than I have, like, in the last year and a half. Wow. Um, I guess people are just Googling it because uh, I've had a couple people tell me, look, man, there's just there's just no cool metal life counters out there. And so they go Googling it, and they find it, and that's what they told me. Yeah. Uh, where all the interest is coming from, and I believe them. So I've, I've got one group that uh, there's a local play group that uh, they want nine of them. Hmm. And so I've only got like about two dozen left. So uh, what I'm going to do is uh, when uh, the order for the nine comes in, uh, I'm going to go and uh, have another print run done. My other option is um, is absolutely, totally, 100% not official. I have not (laughs) talked to anybody at Star City Games. You know, this is just brainstorming on my part. In fact, uh, you may remember a couple years back when uh, I can't remember the fellow's name, but everybody uh, his his name online was uh, Polar Bear God. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, R- Richie Prophet. Yes, when he passed away, you know, they uh, had a big tournament for him and asked people to send stuff in uh, for the big prize package. I sent a couple of spinners in uh, for the life package or for the uh, prize package for that, and so uh, there's a possibility that, uh, you know, uh, Star City might say, you know, hmm, maybe that will, could be, you know, a cool promo item for us. They might either sell them on their website or, you know, uh, do it as a, a promo item for, uh, or, and or prize item for a lot of the uh, tournaments that they run. Yeah, so, so if people are interested, um, you know, whether that's people from Star City or people or listeners to this podcast, um, how can they get a hold of a life counter at this point? How can they contact you? Right now, uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, via my uh, direct email, and I don't have a problem sending that out to folks. I uh, that's easy. It's uh, C E Hendrix at sbcglobal.net. I'll post your email address in the show notes. No problem. Anybody can contact me. Uh, no problem, and uh, I'll be more than happy to accommodate you. So I guess. Uh I guess, did you have any, any more uh, things that you wanted to talk about at all? No, that was pretty much about it. I wanted to uh, <clears throat> just uh, toss in all the other things that we talked about. Uh, like I said, I, I promised you a, a couple of good stories and whatnot. Absolutely. I uh, hope that's worked out for you. For I'll sure, yeah. I yells and screams at you. If anybody does, uh, please remember, kids, that uh, there was no expectations on my part for anything from anybody. In any way, uh, this is just a, a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, for me, I've had a lot more interaction with uh, Wizards of the Coast 
90% of it on my side. But, uh, you know, some of it, uh, you know, somewhat significant. So uh, I wish you guys uh, all the luck in the world. Thank you very much for this opportunity to uh, walk down memory lane. I'm very, very pleased that uh, uh, you enjoy the spinners. I think it's sad that, uh, you know, nobody else out there in the industry, you know, thinks that uh, pewter spinners are uh, worth spending time on. But, uh, you know, for those of us that uh, have a little bit of the old school in us that enjoy, uh, you know, tactile things, which is, I think, one of the reasons that uh, magic survives is because I think in game design, this is why I don't do uh, electronics. I do all my games are board games. I enjoy the human interaction. And for me, that's a lot of, and probably for you and most everybody else, that's what magic is all about. It's about the human interaction, and it's a lot more—it's a lot more fun, and it's what makes the game endure. All right. Well, thank you, Chester. I appreciate you uh, giving us your time for, for this interview. No problem, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. It was all mine. Thank you very much. Ooh.